1: And that's just what we're here to do talk about beer and the brewing industry and have a conversation with the people who make the industry what it is and see what we can learn from them. And this week we have a really interesting chat with a young brewer by the name of Tim Burkhardt. Tim reached out to me to tell me about the brewing apprenticeship that he undertook in Germany and the things that he observed about the differences between learning brewing in Germany and in Australia, as well as a whole host of other differences between the two industries, as well as some insights into things like the Reinheitsgebot, the famed German beer purity law. In the past when we've talked to brewers about cultural differences between beer countries, we've had a great response from our audience, and so I thought this would be another great one, particularly with so many young brewers looking at pursuing careers and getting skills in the brewing industry. It's a great chat with an interesting young brewer, and I hope you enjoy it just as much as I did. Tim Burkhardt, welcome to Beer as a Conversation.
0: Hey, Matt. Thanks for having me on.
1: Oh, pleasure. Now, um, for for listeners, uh, again, you reached out uh, a couple of weeks ago just to let me know a little bit about yourself and that you'd studied in Germany, and it sounded like a fascinating uh, story. So for somebody that probably not many people in the Australian brewing industry have heard of, I was certainly intrigued. Um, So let's talk a little bit about it. I'm just going to start by saying by reading a little bit about the email. I'm a Sunshine Coast local who spent the last six years in Germany undergoing training and working as a master brewer and maltster. Um, And uh, I I found that fascinating because you're only 24.
0: Yeah, so um, to to talk about the inspiration for how that all came about, I'd have to go a little bit further back and um, just uh, state that my parents are actually German immigrants. So I grew up here. I do, however, have dual nationality. So, I'm Australian. I have an Australian passport. I also have a German passport. And that was kind of the the thing that sparked it all. Um, Because of that German passport, I was able to go over there. Uh, I didn't need a visa. I had full working rights and everything. And I kind of had access to the whole German education system. And so... But
1: you were born here? I
0: was born here. I was born in Wollongong.
1: Okay, yeah. so Deutsch, yeah, which is about all I... Yeah. <laughs> okay, so that was one of my first questions because it would have, you know, for somebody who went to, uh, you know, high school in Noosa um, to just go, oh, look, I'm going to take myself off to Germany without, you know, maybe even with high school German, no. it would have been a, a bit of a challenge, but obviously you had that step up.
0: Yeah, I was lucky enough to um, learn German from my parents growing up and that turned out to be really handy because the apprenticeship itself, they don't offer in English. Obviously, it's only in German. Um, I mean, I learned basic German growing up and then, you know, kind of the brewing terms. That was definitely a challenge. Um, but yeah, now I know them all and now I don't know them in English. (laughs) (laughs) Well,
1: having grown up with, uh, German immigrant parents, did you grow up listening to your father, um, complaining about the quality of Australian lager beer? Uh,
0: yeah, yes and no. I mean, my dad quickly um, kind of, you know, took on the Australian lifestyle and the culture and everything, and he definitely um, drunk beer, but obviously you can get a, an international kind of beer assortment in Australia, so that was helpful for him, and at some point he just picked up home brewing. so he was one of those can extract home brewers in the garage, and um, he said, oh, they can't brew it that good, I'll do it myself, and yeah. For me, growing up, I never really knew what brewing was. I just knew Dad did it in the shed, and I didn't know it was with cans and extract. I just thought he brewed beer, but um, <laughs> yeah, it was uh, definitely um, an eye-opener. When I started my apprenticeship, I was like, ah, oh, so Dad's been cheating the whole time.
1: <laughs> oh, it was not. Yeah, it is not cheating. It's, you know, it's like packet mixer, things like that. But uh, and jumping ahead a little bit here, because we are going to speak a lot about the German beer culture, but is homebrew a thing in Germany?
0: Um, it certainly exists. Um, it's not as not as widespread. I would say, um, funnily enough, a lot of my colleagues in my brewery apprenticeships and um, Meister school um, were home brewers at home because the breweries in Germany tend to get um, well. They call them mid-sized, but I worked at a mid-sized brewery that had a two hundred and eighty hectoliter brew house. They're quite big, <laughs> and and everything's automated. So a lot of the um, brewers have you know a homebrew to do on the weekends or, you know, to to still fuel their passion for brewing.
1: But again, yeah, because I mean, that that fascinates me because on one hand, a lot of the homebrewers, quite apart from, you know, outside of the COVID when we were all making sourdough and things like that. But um, I've noticed that people who uh, get into homebrew here, um, you know, 20 years ago because they couldn't get the breadth of beers that they tried overseas and making them themselves gave them a range of beers that they couldn't experience otherwise then there's also people who just love um the creativity of making and beer was their thing and then also just the cost of a lot of the good beers that people were drinking it was a way to make beer quite cheaply and in Europe in in Germany in particular where you have such a huge selection of commercially available beers Um, you know there is a great range of beers available and they are so cheap Um, I wouldn't have thought that there was a huge impetus or a huge motivation for just regular people to get in and start home brewing unless they really did have that desire for the creativity of it
0: yeah I think a lot of them uh, do it out of creativity or out of the reason you know they're interested by it they like the or they like the science behind it or really just want to learn Something different, or they want to know where does beer really come from. I'd say that's the biggest um, biggest thing that sparks the home brewers in Germany. It's not really a price thing, um, and it's certainly not an availability question. There's a lot of beer you can get. Um, you know, you're so close to Belgium, and you obviously in Germany yeah. got a lot of beers. Any close to Bohemia there, and, and so there's there's enough beer. But uh, I'd say people do it out of interest and creativity. Absolutely.
1: Let's jump back to, uh, what, 16, 17-year-old Tim, who's living on the Sunshine Coast, is vaguely aware of homebrewing from his dad doing it, but you're finishing high school. What? And it, it, from, from your CV, it looks like you pretty much went straight off to Germany to study brewing. What was your motivation?
0: Obviously, I always had a bit of an interest from my dad's homebrewing. Um, I'd say, you know, I never really understood how beer was made, where it came from. Certainly, um, the day I turned 18, um, I, you know, I tried a bit of beer and I was like, oh, yeah, this is really good. And um, I, originally I was going to study something. I wanted to study engineering. And then I spoke to my dad and I was like, Dad, look, I really want to um, do something that I'm passionate about. And I don't think that's engineering. I want to learn beer brewing. And um, that's where it kind of started then. Uh, he said, oh, he knows someone in his hometown who has a small brewery. Um, I was already over in Germany at that point. And he said, maybe we can reach out to him and see if he has an opportunity or um, if there's any way we can get you to work with him. And um, yeah, that's where it started.
1: Were you aware of the you know, craft brewing movement and the, the number of small breweries that had been springing up you know, around the country, and particularly on the Sunshine Coast, and see it as a potential career that you were embarking on at, at that stage?
0: Um, for me at that stage, it was... Um, so, when I was 18, it was 2017, so almost no breweries had opened. I remember just as I'd left, Copperhead in Karoy had opened up and that was like, well, at least for what I could tell because I was in Carroy, that was the only brewery in the area. And I thought, oh yeah, maybe if I do my apprenticeship, I can come back and open a brewery around here. <laughs> <laughs> I did not expect them to um, pop up so quickly and um, yeah. And now, obviously, Sunshine Coast has a lot of breweries. Yeah.
1: Yeah, well, God, uh, it I, I, I keep reflecting back on how quickly things have changed. Um, so, uh, anyway, uh, we, we can probably come back to, to, to that. Um, so, you, you went off. Where did you study um, in, in in Bavaria?
0: Yeah, so I actually, didn't study in Bavaria. I studied in the Black Forest. Um, so, there's uh, in the south of Germany. There's two larger regions. There's Baden-Württemberg, and then there's Bavaria. And so, I did my apprenticeship in Baden-Württemberg. So, if we go back to the to the story. Um, My dad spoke to someone from his hometown who owns a brewery and asked them if they need a brewer. And then I went in there, introduced myself, and told them, Look, I really want to learn beer brewing. I think you're a great place for me to learn. Do you have a spot for me to do an apprenticeship? And um, the owner basically said, Oh, no, we're not really looking for any brewers. Um, We like the guy who's just did his apprenticeship here is from Brazil and he's just, you know, he's going to stay here and work a little longer for me. So I really don't need a second person. But if you want, you can do a two week uh, internship at my brewery. And I said, okay, I'll take the chance. And, um, I did that after two weeks, he asked me if I want to spot as an apprentice. So, um, that definitely worked okay. out really well. And, um, yeah, if I can talk about that a little bit, that's a, um, yeah. so that's in the Black Forest in Germany in a town called, um, well, it's close to Rottweil where the dogs are from, the Rottweiler dogs. And, um, it's a. It used to be the smallest commercial brewery in Germany before the craft beer scene kind of uh, erupted. It's a 10 hectolitre um, wood-fired brew house with a copper cooling ship and um, open fermentation. It's like a really old-school German brewery, about as <laughs> old-school as they come still.
1: that Yeah, that, that surprises me because uh, I've been fortunate to go to a number of German breweries and they are you know even um, going to schlenkler um you know w- w- which is a very old school in, in in some ways but there is so much modern uh, about what they do to, to sort of think of doing cool ship brewing in Germany isn't something that i'm i'm really uh, aware of
0: yeah so um a lot of it was still um the brew house was built in 17. 17- 79 or something like that, I'd have to lie. I think 79 or 73. So really, really old, and it's still the original one. It had been welded a few times, it was still out of steel, <laughs> um, but it was working, you know, and and I think that in that brewery in particular, it was about, you know, the tradition. It was just about brewing beer the way it used to be brewed, having, um, you know, the customers be able to walk in and see that the fires lit under the brew house, and the smell when it was a brew day, you had a little bit of smoke, you had, um, you know... Uh, a little bit of mash in the air when I was boiling hops if I wasn't paying attention or put too much wood under the brew house obviously that was <laughs> everywhere it would smell like hops it would uh, like you know cook at the top and um to learn on it was awesome it's um definitely not something that you need to do I mean in terms of technology we don't have to talk about that it's not what's well, going to be the slightly inferior product in terms of something that's brewed uh you know in a closed and a steel vat. Yeah, but it's what the customers there want. But wanted. isn't
1: that the craft way? Exactly,
0: it's the craft <laughs> way. <laughs> yeah, and the, and the cool ship, you learn, you learn a little bit, um, you know, of what you need to pay attention for, especially in terms of hygiene, microbiology. We learned that if we, um, you know, want to use the cool ship in the months where the fruit is ripe, so in September in Germany or August, um, we could only leave it up there for two hours, and then we had a um, small heat exchange. So we did still brew with modern implements, but yeah, we had to watch out for, for things. Obviously, wild yeast in the air and that sort of stuff.
1: So w- what's the name of the brewery, and how widely do they distribute their beers?
0: Oh, they, they do the classic German one where it's, um, if the brewmaster sits on top of the brewery, only the houses he can see get his beer, you know?
1: That's, uh, <laughs> well, it's, um, so what's it called?
0: Uh, Hirschbrauerei. Fletzlingen is what I might need you to uh, send that through I'll to me so I can put it in the show notes. Know. Yes, please. <laughs> the, um, <laughs> the website that exists for it also has um, held its retro look. So I'll send you a link to it. Um, don't be surprised. It looks like it's from 2005. But it really is. Um, <laughs> it's it really a nice space
1: page. <laughs>
0: almost. <laughs> but no, it's really like the, the owner of the brewery is a down-to-earth man and really um, brews good beer. He's doing it himself now and he's back on the tools and he really enjoys it there,
1: yeah. I, I was interested that you did the apprenticeship um, working for brewers. Did was, was there university level study as part of that?
0: Um, so it, not university, you didn't study at the university. So how the German brewery uh, apprenticeship works is it's treated like any other trade in Germany. So it's handled by the um, Chamber of Industry and Commerce and then... Every trade, depending on how far you are away from your trade school, you'll have a certain number of weeks per year where you attend a public um, uh, yeah, trade school to uh, learn the theory of that. And for brewing, it was for me, because I was in Baden-Württemberg, I had to go to Ulm, which is a town that borders Bavaria, and um, I attended brewery school there. And so it was basically two years, if you split it up in the end, two years you spend at your... Um, brewery to learn the the practice, the on-hand stuff, and in the end it's 12 months that you spend on and off at a uh, technical trade school. So um, together it's a three-year apprenticeship and and they kind of do twice a year, six-week blocks, and that's how that Kind
1: of works together. I, I guess, yeah, because uh, uh, again, a, a lot that I uh, know about the German you know, system is from the Weinstein University mm-hmm. where so if, uh, people go off and study mm-hmm. there or you know, some of the very famous academic institutions. Um, so what, what's the difference between the university level study and the apprenticeship system in, in Germany?
0: Um, So, actually, most people that study at university will do an apprenticeship beforehand. It um saves them time during their um, study, and it's also the apprenticeship system is a really hands-on way of learning. If you go straight to uni, um, obviously, you understand, you know, the theory behind beer and the science, and you're very involved with that, but then you ask someone from university to write a recipe or something like that, they usually will stagger and um, be a little bit overwhelmed by that. Um, so, the apprenticeship system is where most brewers, whether they've studied on or are masters or not, where they start. So it's that three-year learning hands-on system. And a lot of... uh, So, for example, I had classmates whose parents owned breweries and the first thing they did was sent their kids to do an apprenticeship. Learn hands-on at a different brewery, three years where you just... um, Yeah.
1: Wow, okay. Um, How much of a profession is it in germany because you know okay, we, we know german beer culture but is um being a brewer as recognized a profession in in germany as you know perhaps some of the trades are here is it a trade or a profession regarded uh, in in germany
0: they treat it as a trade so it's um definitely it goes through the same system if you would do an apprenticeship to be a um Let's say for for an electrician or a plumber or something or a uh, you know someone working on cars, you go through the same sort of system. So um, you do brewery school. We also had people who were doing um, it's called in German "Kfz Meister," which is like a um, yeah learning to work on cars. We also had plumbers in our um, trade school, hairdressers. It's um, it's definitely treated as a trade over there, and then yeah that's like the entry level the the apprenticeship basically over there
1: because it's interesting I I, I note that uh you said you're undergoing training and working as a master brewer because a you know, master brewer is one of those things that a lot of brewers here refer to themselves at but it's got a very specific meaning and they probably shouldn't be calling themselves what's the term master brewer mean uh in in Germany
0: yeah so um once you finish your apprenticeship, you're able to attend a master school. There are a number of them. You can also um, study brewing, of course. But I did it at a technical trade school, so the same one I did my apprenticeship at offers a course. where You spend twelve months only at school, and there you really just sit in the books and you go way deeper in the theory than you did in your apprenticeship. And then afterwards, you've got if you pass, obviously, um, it's very intense and and certainly extensive. And for my German knowledge, I was. <laughs> overwhelmed at times but i made it through really well and um yeah so that was a 12-month program where just school just learning hands-on at the end of it um as a bit of a it was not really a joke but you know if you learn to be a um a woodworker or something like that in germany you have to do a a masterpiece you know the the final product and we got to make a master beer so that was a good bit of fun at the end to to, what was your master beer um, it was a dark Keller beer. They tell okay. you um, what beer they want. So the, the, the people who are um, in charge of you know, taking care of the exams and stuff will so say, we want a dark Keller beer, and we want uh, something with this and this many IBUs, this and this many uh, EBC dark, and we want it clear or, or filtered, whatever they want, and then you have to produce something. You can be as creative as you want, and obviously with Keller beer, there's no definition in Germany whether that's top or bottom fermenting, so we did the top fermenting uh, okay. Keller beer, and uh, experimented there a little bit, yeah. And how'd you go? Good, I mean, we had to obviously make a presentation as well, who's our target audience. We made a logo for it, um, packaged it, and um, had to basically sell our beer to the people who told us to make it. And that was a good bit of fun, absolutely.
1: The, the other thing that intrigues me about it is you're a master brewer and maltster. So malting, becoming a maltster is integrated into the brewing training. It's not seen as a separate career path or a separate profession.
0: No, I'm glad you asked that. Um, I did want to talk about that as well a bit. Uh, so yeah, in Germany, they're very, very um, extensive about keeping that tradition. It, it comes from back in the day when you know, malt production was something that was carried out by the brewers. That you had to learn those two things together, and they've kept them together because they are so intertwined. You know, learning um, with, you know, when are the different ripe stages of barley, and what's the first thing you do with barley when you want to start malting, and what effects does bad malt have on beer, or or poorly produced malt have on beer. And there are so many things that that still intertwine that they've kept it together, and um, I thought it was really helpful for the apprenticeship system. Um, it definitely gives you a really a much deeper insight into picking raw material. And um, it was also part of the apprenticeship that you spent at least three weeks at a moultrie. So you weren't allowed to get around that in any way. I spent three weeks at bayermann in Bamberg. And, great um, place to, great yeah, people,
1: great place.
0: Great place to, to learn with. And obviously seeing inside the, the moultrie, um, it's a bit like a <laughs> Charlie in the Chocolate Factory, you know, every brewer's dream going inside bayermann <laughs> and spending three weeks. Um, seeing how they produce everything and it was really um, eye-opening because, yeah, uh, you know, you learn the, the terms for everything and you learn the theory of brewing malt and then when you get in the malter and the smells and the, and the um, just how everything looks is uh, definitely eye-opening and uh, certainly helps learning it. Yeah.
1: Going back to the thing I was going to ask because you have talked about the growth of small craft breweries in Germany and it's it fascinated me that where we've seen what I call the American-led craft beer movement, you know, that's hop-driven, highly experimental, you know, has swept across America, it's swept into Australia, it's swept into um, the, the UK. Um, but countries like, um, at least on my observation, you know, going to Germany, it really hasn't... Dominated um, or taken over, or um, as much, and there are a couple of reasons that I've postulated that that I've come to myself, and one is, as I said before, beer is just so cheap. Good beer um, is is so cheap in Germany compared to what craft brewers have to charge because of you know you've already uh, you know hinted at the, the the scale that brewing takes place, but also. Anywhere in Germany that you go to, you walk into a, a, a place that, even if it's contracted to one of to the local brewery or the big breweries, um, there is five or six very different beers you can get on tap. You know, whether it's just a Helles or a, a Dunkel, um, you, you'll have a Hefeweizen and a Dunkelweizen, and you'll have a seasonal Christmas beer or um, uh, a, a, a Mertzen uh, or different beers. Um, they won't be craft influenced styles but i would imagine that for the german beer drinker they always had such you know enough variety that they never were left wanting you know the, the the huge experimentation that perhaps some of the you know australia where we had one beer style primarily marketed 57 different ways that when craft beer came out it really excited the desire for the new um, it, i mean Comment on my re- reflections and tell me what your thoughts are why craft beer hasn't been bigger in Germany, or has it? And I've just missed that.
0: It certainly had a peak, so it didn't It didn't get as big as it did here, and I think it's a lot for those reasons that you said. You know, Germany's always had a stable beer market and, and um, they've always had a, a lot of different styles of beer available for the customers. But I'd also say it has a lot to do with the Germans themselves, that they're very... Um, well, they need a while to try new things. You know, if they have been, well, especially the the older generations, if they've been drinking their favorite export beer for the last 40 years, they're not just going to try something else overnight. You know, they've always <laughs> drunk that beer. That's their favorite. They know they like it and they want to stick with it. I'd say the young people were, are definitely open to uh, trying uh, craft beer. And it, it did actually, um, and it still is slowly um, being you know, brewed and, and still being sold over there really well, um, I'd say it, it's kind of split in two different areas, you know, how the customer thinks of craft beer. Is it the size of the brewery? Because for a lot of us, um, we were working in craft breweries, you know, where I worked 10 hectolitre wood fire heated, that is a craft brewery. It's just not craft styles uh, per se. Um, well, certainly not not nothing like an IPA that we were brewing there. We did make a dry hop tellers for the customers and, um, you know, People liked it. It's definitely something people were open to. Uh, I'd say it just didn't didn't get as big. It didn't get as hyped up as it did over here, for reasons like you said. Um, you know, in Australia, we've been having one major beer style from from you know a few different breweries, and that was it. And then obviously, it's exciting for the customers. Oh, something new! For Germany, it was it was really um, yeah. They they knew what they wanted. They had what they wanted. You know, going to be a bit careful with something new on the market.
1: On that, and it, it, it's one of those things that you know, on, being on the wrong side of 50 or the right side of 50, depending on how you look at it, you, you are acutely aware or want, you know, I'm acutely aware of not wanting to sound too old, um, you know, and, and, and start reflecting some of those, oh, back in my day, or you know, I hate change. But at the same time, I've heard you know some very respected German brewers when they've come out here um, for Good Beer Week and uh, various things just shake their head at the way hops are used in, in craft beer. Um, and they're not decrying the new, but they're talking about the lack of balance that a lot of craft beer um, has shown. And, you know, I a lot of people like that a lot of people are excited by that but at the same time it's it's always struck me as being a little bit like when you first get into spicy food you want the spiciest food and you don't care about balance but then there is a bit of an arc that you tire of the extremity and you just want things that give you pleasure and it's often balance you know the, 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 the tried and true German beers have always been about beautiful balance and elegance um, and things and not having any rough edges um, that sharp hops. I mean, is that a, a, a fair observation to make? And it, was that something you heard a lot from brewers talking about the lack of balance that craft beer had?
0: I hadn't heard them speak specifically about the lack of balance, but I certainly had um, observed myself as well. In Germany, you've obviously got the purity law. And, and what that means for the brewers. Maybe we can talk a bit more about that, but for, for right now what I want to scratch on the surface is definitely with the purity law we're kind of you know bound to four ingredients. And um, what we want to do within those four ingredients is see how many flavors we can get out of them. And obviously if you're going to get a mango flavor out of brewing a beer it's going to be a lot more subtle than if you just put mango puree in the beer. So I think the German uh, brewers and brewmasters tend to go for how can I achieve a flavor in a beer by putting something in there really subtly, and um, the Australians will go, oh yeah, put mango puree in there, obviously, you know. And and the same with hops, you know, Germans will will um, take a, a whirlpool hop or or just do a really late hop addition, and then all you know sit around the beer when it's finished, and oh yeah, you can really smell that that um, that five minute before end of boil hop in there, and uh, you know, for a lot of people, it's really too subtle to to taste, and and. A little bit like you said you know when you try something new for the first time you want it as intense as it can get but uh if you want to have something in there subtly and and well balanced then definitely uh you have to have to respect the ingredient a little bit more than just adding heaps of it in there
1: (laughs) well again and this is where you can sort of sound like you know old man yells at cloud or you know there has been an element that I've observed in the craft beer movement, you know, and, and it goes right back to when uh, Hefeweizen was first, you know, quite popular as a craft beer style. There was always an element of, you know, the, the, the classic tasting notes of Hefeweizen is banana and clove and, you know, craft beer being to some extent about extremes. If the tasting note was banana and clove, well, if a little bit of banana and clove is good, the craft way is a lot of banana and clove. Or if a little bit of mango from the hops, then we want a really punchy, obvious mango or passion fruit. And then the the, the natural progress is, well, You know, if we can get passion fruit from hops or mango from hops, why don't we just put mango in and make it taste like nothing but mango? Which, again, is very exciting, and it's generated a lot of... Interest in craft beer, certainly a lot of media attention. Hey, this beer tastes of mango, but it feels like there was always you know, it, it, it there is an arc where people then tire of the obviousness of the flavors and they, 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 they move on. Um, i think that's the balance that german brewers talk about is you know it's notes of as opposed to smack you in the faces of um it, it, it is that a reasonable observation
0: yeah absolutely and uh i'd also say it has to do a lot with the, the drinkability you know in, in germany it's yep. beer is such a culture that they want to have you know sit together and have six beers on a on a friday night or whatever and um certainly possible with something that's really, you know, strong forward in in one direction of flavor, but it's a lot easier and a lot nicer with something that's well balanced.
1: Speaking of German culture, and these are things that you probably wouldn't have been taught about, but you may have been there at an age that you had some observations, is my understanding is at least in some of the states, for example, you can get your, your uh, you, you can drink legally beer, not spirits, but beer at, say, 16. But then you don't get your driver's license until 18. And to me, that is a much more sensible system um, than we have here, where you get your driver's license at 16. Um, and then you know once you've got your license, then you get to experiment with drinking, um, which... You know, is is a bad combination? Is that something you've observed, or is that something that you know you had a, a, the ability to, to sort of note and take and observe upon or comment upon?
0: Yeah, um, absolutely. So I have a funny story to start that off with. Um, during my apprenticeship, I also worked at a bar um, just at night because you don't earn a lot as an apprentice in Germany. And um, had a young uh, woman come in. She was uh, she looked like thirteen or fourteen, and she ordered wine with her parents. And I was like, oh, sorry, I'm going to have to ask for some ID. And then um, her father came forward and said, no, no, she's 14 and I'm I'm with her. And I didn't even know that rule existed. You can actually drink as early as 14 if a parent or guardian is, is there. And um, I think that kind of kicks it off. Yeah, they, have, they are allowed to drink quite early, but they also, because they're allowed to do it, they're doing it in a responsible kind of um, manner and doing it around adults and, uh, you know, In Australia, obviously, I grew up around here, you know, you don't drink your first beer when you're 18, Uh, you you try it beforehand and you do it sneaky so that, you know, no one knows you're doing it. And then you you have to learn your limit with alcohol yourself. And I think it's in in Germany, I don't know if it's definitely better, but uh, people definitely have, uh, you know, a responsible adult around them the first time they're drinking. And it's less about, you know, getting drunk, it's more about, you know, celebrating the beer culture or the wine culture with with family and friends.
1: What's the cultural approach to things like you know obvious drunkenness, you know, uh, and you know hangovers the next day? You know, in, in Australia, um, you know, the, the most common question you are asked after a night out when you catch up with friends is, "Oh, how did you pull up?" As if you know, not only was it okay that you overconsumed, but you know, it's almost celebrating the ill effects of alcohol the next day. Are things like, you know, public drunkenness tolerated um, in Germany or is it sort of frowned upon?
0: Uh, I'd say, look, they're they're certainly, I'd lie if I'd say there was no one, you know, drunk in public uh, in Germany. They definitely are uh, walking around drunk. I'd say in Germany they're, um, I don't want to say less aggressive, but they're just kind of, you know, walking around, singing together arm in arm, and it's a bit more like, a you know, they're celebrating something and they're just walking around. Uh, and I'd say it's an age thing. You know, when you're 18, you might ask someone, oh, how much did you drink yesterday? But, you know, in your mid-20s or 30s, uh, you already stop and you say, oh, look, yeah, I had a few quiet ones and that was it.
1: it it's interesting on that. I, I was at Oktoberfest and, you know, I... I'd, sitting with a group of Germans and I was just amazed how slowly they consumed the big steins of beer. And I was, you know, being very conscious of, you know, being well behaved and things because I was with, you know, so I was drinking what what I thought was reasonably slowly and I was still, you know, going through mine more quickly. Um, And I was really left with the clear impression that it wasn't the drinking it was the socialization that drinking facilitates was what was the objective which is a little bit different just attitudinally here but then also when I commented on it to um, the the lady that hosted me that was um, um, worked in the embassy in Australia um, and I just asked about the difference and she made the point that if you ask a german during the week how their week's going they'll tell you how awful it is and how their boss is an idiot and you know they they're not enjoying work and that they're having trouble with their their kids and they're just very open about the troubles that they're experiencing whereas in australia um, you know so she's right you know busy you know all all good she's okay mate um, and there's almost this denial of the day-to-day problems that we had And so she'd formed this you know little pop psychology, um, you know, attitude is that Germans aren't saving up their unhappiness for when they drink on Friday and then letting it out, you know, sometimes aggressively. So when they're actually drinking on the Friday night or when they are drinking, it, it is to celebrate and it's not an excuse to let these negative emotions out, um, which I found, again, it's very much pop psychology. I don't know that there's any, uh, you know, studies that back it up, but I thought, oh, it's a very interesting observation.
0: Yeah, certainly an interesting uh, way of looking at it. Again, I'm not going to say no one in, in Germany, you know, doesn't get drunk or doesn't drink to forget or whatever. It's it, you know, there are definitely parallels, but there's also, like you've explained, uh, certainly different drinking cultures.
1: Yeah. So tell me about the uh, uh, and apologies for the pronunciation. The um, Reinheitsgebot, the German beer. How, how was that? Uh, first of all, was that reasonable? Could you understand?
0: Yeah, I could understand um, what they meant by it. So, actually, I wanted to talk about it a little bit because there's a lot of confusion about it, you know. And um, yeah. in Germany today, the Reinheitsgebot isn't something that's, you know, um, that's not a legal obligation. The legal obligation is the preliminary beer law. And so, that's a kind of a law that exists for breweries and that dictates what they are and aren't allowed to put in beer. And... Um, That's not as strict as some people might think. So in Germany, you are allowed to use diametaceous earth for filtering. You're allowed to use, um, let's say, silica-based stabilizers to stabilize your beer. You're allowed to use hop extract. It just has to be written on the back as ingredients and that sort of thing. So they're not as strict as some people would think. Um, You are, however, allowed to obviously put the very impurity law on your beer bottle, and then you have to follow a little bit stricter. They're also using calcium chloride and stuff, you know, that there are things you're allowed to do. As long as you put it into the beer at the right point in time, um, it doesn't count as an ingredient. It's just something you're using, you know, to help, I guess. And um, the first brewery I worked at, yeah, uh, definitely strict purists by the purity law. Um, The second one as well, they made their own malt and stuff like that. But there are breweries in Germany that, you know, have more accessibility to, other ingredients or other uh, things to help brew their beer, and it is allowed. So, not all that's hard that to be.
1: I, I was very lucky in twenty nineteen to go. Twenty nineteen, I think, uh, to go. It was the five hundredth anniversary um, of the German Beer Purity Law, um, and they had a uh, an, ex, an exhibition that was fascinating. Um, Uh, Not too much of it was in English, but I was able to sort of uh, make sense of it. And it, it really sounded like whilst we revere it as being, you know, they love their beer so much. It was just, my understanding is a very, very early consumer protection law for something that was very important, making sure that the beer wasn't adulterated and that it was high quality. And then it was also about regulating Tax, um, you know, making sure that beer was uh, made a certain way for for for, for tax purposes, which um, you know is a, is a little bit more pedestrian than we revere beer so much. We're only going to make it this way.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So that's still in the preliminary beer law. Um, you know, how many degrees Plato the beer has and stuff. That they're only allowed to use bottom ferment uh, at sorry. That they're only allowed to make bottom fermenting beers with the four ingredients, and that sort of thing still stands today. And um, also, funnily enough, uh, wheat. Uh, was something that, you know, was scarce. And so they said, okay, you can't use wheat for any beers, only for top-fermenting beers. And that's kind of how the and came about as well.
1: There you go. This, this stuff is fascinating, and it sort of defies some of the common misconceptions about it. What we're seeing here in Australia and in, in, in a lot of um, Western countries that beer is in a bit of a down slide, um, you know, we've seen the rise of, um, I mean, Germany's always had wine, but we have seen the, the, the rise of, um, you know, pre-mixed spirits and things like that. What's the situation in Germany? Is a younger generation seeing beer, you know, what their parents and grandparents drank and looking elsewhere? Or what's the feeling over there about the future of brewing for new generations?
0: I'd say there are a lot of parallels to how it is going here. So, um, you know, we always read reports and learned uh, during our education and, and just like that as well, that, um, yeah, the consumer trends are going away from drinks like beer. You know, a lot of young people are going to pre-mixed uh, drinks or spirits or not drinking alcohol at all. That's a huge trend. And um, the German beer market's responding by putting a lot of research into alcohol-free beer at the moment because, you know, people, the new generation is a lot more, I'd say, um, yeah, looking, looking to be healthier. Always trying to find another way to, you know, to be healthier or to find a, something that's not good for you and cut it out of your diet. And um, beer is unfortunately one of those things where people always go to it and think, oh, beer gives me a beer gut. Well, I'll cut the alcohol out or, or get away from beer. So that's a huge trend over there. Um, I think the German breweries are trying to um, follow it, or they they are following it. And those who you know say that. It, that's not a problem and it won't matter ever. People will always drink beer. I think that they might see, um, you know, in 10 years' time or so that that's not the attitude you have to go in with. So I think that there is definitely a consumer trend going away from beer. Um, how the breweries will respond to that, I don't know.
1: Particularly in an industry where the big breweries are massive, um, you know, they are very efficient, very large breweries that are set up for an, for an economy where everyone drinks beer. Um, I'd imagine, ha- have we seen many breweries closing in Germany or much uh, structural change in the industry that you're, that you're aware of? Um,
0: I'd say not a lot of them have, have closed straight away. I have seen, I do follow it a little bit, like you know that after the pandemic some closed and in general there's maybe not as many new ones opening as there, there were five years ago. But what I do think that the Germans all have, which I haven't seen a whole lot of here, is that all of them have a second um, kind of a backup in place. So where I worked at Schwarzburg, they were producing lemonade and and alcohol-free beer as well. Something, you know, to diversify their portfolio. And then there were breweries, a lot of them in Germany make mate. It's like a fizzy tea extract sort of thing. Um, Also, my, um, my teacher at brewery school a friend of his uh, worked as a, as a brewer, and he made um, a drink out of brewing wort that was only like slightly fermented, and then mixed with lemonade, and sold the rights to that to Coca Cola. And now that's a huge thing in Germany. So, um, you know, there there is more potential to make with beer and and out of brew houses. I think um, everyone that's you know coming up with a backup or have something else uh, in line is going to see that they. Well, at least that's my opinion, that they won't have as much of a, of a downfall. And you can't forget with things like lemonade, you know, beer needs, well, in Germany at least, <laughs> six weeks in the lager tanks. And, and uh, a lot of time uh, in the brew house, it's an eight-hour day, you know, to brew a beer, no matter where you are in the world. And, um, you know, lemonades and stuff like that, they do go quick. And, you know, you can sell them for a similar price. And, and German breweries have backed themselves up with that sort of thing, I think.
1: Now, just just moving on to you, you, you you studied, you've got experience and you've come back, and you're working over here, you, you've got your own um, I, I guess consultants, but it's a consultancy with a bit of a difference um, that, that that you're doing over here. You didn't want to come back and jump into a brewery over here?
0: Yeah, actually, um, interesting you mentioned that I um, studied in Germany and I got some work experience as well in a larger brewery. and um, I came back you know eager to work. And I had a bit of a look at the job market and I thought, you know, what's missing? A lot of the breweries here are small, you know, they're run by one, one brewer, at least on the Southern Coast. And um, what's missing? Where could my expertise um, help? And so I've opened a little company where I do consulting, but also with my um, background in, in brewing in Germany, uh, I hope I can be helpful as a troubleshooter as well. So if breweries run into problems, um, you know, whatever it is that I can just spring in and, and lend a few ideas to them. And also, you know, when their one brewer is sick or goes on holiday or anything happens to them, they just stand there and they can't produce. And so I've also decided to offer a little, you know, where I can jump in and kind of work as a contract brewer for anyone that needs me. Also, interestingly enough, you know, the small breweries, if they don't want to hire a head brewer for 365 days a year, they can come to me and I can, you know, do the head brewer stuff for a few weeks in the year and, and hopefully, you know, help everyone out that way.
1: So it's almost a a, a, um, a a sweeper. You you just sort of go around fill in blanks in brewing teams, and uh, obviously provide your uh, master brewing experience um, while while you're doing it. But uh, you, you, yeah, help out a lot of small breweries with uh, you know casual brewing assistance.
0: Yeah, exactly. So uh, I hope that there's um, someone who can use some help like that, and um, I'm certainly very keen to to get into the breweries again and and introduce myself and, and work a little bit
1: Oh, happy to, for, for, for such an engaging chat, I'm happy to give you a free ad, so we'll uh, make <laughs> sure we link to your, to, to your website um, awesome. as, as part of the show notes and uh, let people know. So, uh, um, mate, I, I, I guess, is there anything just even, uh, it's been a fascinating chat, is there anything that else you've noticed about differences between uh, Australia and German uh, brewing industries or th- things that you think our industry audience might be interested in?
0: Yeah, well, um, one thing uh, I did want to mention is actually, uh, you know, in Germany, a lot of the breweries because there's so many of them, and they've all got their own unique part, uh, you know, structure to them, and they've only, they've got their own customers, and they're, they're less of you know working against each other, and they're really working together. Um, and I noticed that certainly in the the last brewery I worked at Schwarzboy, they were part of a. Um, it's not a union but they like kind of commence together and they have one large brewing group and they help each other by doing you know um, seminars and and training together they uh, you know talk to each other about you know prices of how to get raw materials in what contracts they have where can one brewery help the other one out and I think that's something I haven't been able to observe here yet because I haven't been back for very long but certainly it's something interesting to consider for back here you know that uh, breweries could work together and uh have like associations or something like that.
1: Well, we, we do have an independent brewers' association, and uh, as I've been saying, beating the drum, they don't have enough resources to do all of the advocacy work and bring the industry together. And I think, uh, it, I mean, that, that's a that's a great thing to say. Um, but I'd, I'll, I'll I'll save my editorialising on that for uh, our uh, news podcast. But uh, Tim Burkhardt, uh, thank you very much for reaching out, and thank you very much for joining me on this episode of uh, Beer as a Conversation and uh, telling us a little bit about your experiences as a brewing apprentice in Germany and uh, the, the the German brewing scene. And um, Um, as I said I'll put a link in the show notes to uh, meisterbrewing.com.au so maybe any uh, brewers on the Sunshine Coast you travel as far as Brisbane if anyone's looking for a bit of brewing help as well
0: yeah absolutely thank you so much Matt for having me and it was awesome to have a conversation together
1: and that was Tim Burkhardt as we discussed Tim has returned to Australia and has set himself up on the Sunshine Coast as a consultant brewer but also filling in for breweries that need additional expert hands or replacement brewers. And you'll find a link to his business in the show notes, as well as to the breweries that he worked in during his time in Germany. We'll be back this Thursday with our discussion of the news of the week. And don't forget particularly that this Saturday is our annual Hottest 100 Craft Beers Live Countdown. We'll be coming to you live from the First Choice Liquor Market in Ashfield, Sydney, counting down Australia's Hottest 100 Beers Live and meeting the people who make them and a whole lot of other great guests. There's a link in the show notes to the live stream. We look forward to you joining us then.